Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in the book of Jonah today. Oh, I know. Jonah is a kid's book, right? We all know what Jonah's about. It's a story about a giant fish, right? Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, and then he finds Jiminy Cricket, and then... It's a kid's story, right? I mean, that's... We've turned it into a fairy tale. And as adults, and I, and I think for many adults... We've left it in our childhood. Churches are notoriously bad about preaching uh, for kids. Noah's Ark, Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah, and then move on to something in the New Testament and just repeat, 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 repeat. And, I, and, and my fear is that in doing this, we've turned Jonah into a kid's tale and missed the point. You know, the point for... Noah's Ark, if we're not careful, becomes that God can save us from a flood and, and from a lion's den and from being swallowed by a giant fish and we're done. And, that, and as those three things will never happen to me, um, they become pointless stories if we're not careful. Our theme this year is to take up your cross. All of our sermons this year have been addressing that point. The message of Jonah addresses this subject in ways that the other books of prophecy don't. Um, it is, it's unique. It's unique in its narrative style, has elements that make it very memorable, which does make it easy to teach to children, but there is a lack of understanding, I think, as adults when it comes to the book of Jonah. And, and maybe if we teach it so much as kids we get kind of sick of it and we feel that we've outgrown it um or maybe maybe then we skip it so if we know the account of do do we know the account of jonah and if so why cover it more well i i think the message is still important i think there are things that we miss the the story the account to take up your cross it may surprise us, but this is the message of Jonah. Uh, that following God has consequences. And, and so does not following him. And so we're in Jonah chapter 1, and we will see what we read in Jonah chapter 1 on this subject. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck 
where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. We'll just pause right there. It may seem hard to relate to Jonah. An Israelite prophet of God 2,700 years ago, give or take, swallowed by a giant fish. That part's hard to relate to. However, what is the point of the book? God wants to love the world and forgive the world through you. God wants to love and forgive Nineveh, capital of the Assyrian Empire, through Jonah. God wants to love the world and forgive the world, and he works through us, his church. Jonah is one of the most loving books of the Old Testament, showing that God loves all people, not, not just Israel. I mean, the Old Testament is very Israel-centric, right? It's just, it, the, the Old Testament is the story of what God is doing through his chosen people, Israel. That doesn't surprise us. Jonah then becomes this unusual book. God loves the Assyrians. The same Assyrians that conquered the northern nation of Israel? Yes, those Assyrians. What is your call today? Is it not to show the world, even a world that hates God, that he loves them and that he wants to forgive them? God calls Jonah to do the unthinkable. It's one thing to save Judah and Israel. That makes sense. It's another thing to condemn Babylon, Egypt, the Hittites, all these other nations that are enemies of Israel. That makes sense, too. But this is outside of the box. God wants to redeem Nineveh. Now, for comparison, Nineveh Nineveh was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. That may not even be enough. Bangkok, maybe. Take the most crime-ridden, morally destitute place that you can think of. And then that, that was Nineveh to the ancient world. Wicked as it gets. The Assyrians were enemies of Israel. It would, it would make sense for, for Jonah to hate the Assyrians. It would make sense to most of us for God to hate the Assyrians. But he wants to save them and redeem them. He wants to forgive them. He loves them because it wasn't just Israel made in his image. Right? It's all of us. And it would be easy for Israel to fall into this exclusionary... I, I, maybe, maybe racist is the right word, maybe it's the wrong word, and I'm not saying they were, but it would be easy to fall into that, that we're God's chosen people and he loves us and everybody that isn't us is against us and they are our enemy, and it would be very easy to fall into that superiority mentality. Um, and it's easy for us to fall into that today. Uh, we, it's easy for us to think God loves the church and he doesn't love anybody else outside of the church when the truth is that Jesus died for everybody. And it's easy to fall into an us versus them. God loves me and the people like me and the people that agree with me and look like me or vote like me or whatever. It's easy to forget and, and God doesn't love your side and it's easy to fall into that and it's just not true. God loves everybody. I don't love everybody and I need to become more godly. And I need to change and get God's view of the world. All men are made in his image. God loves all men. 
God loves sinners, and I'm glad that he does, because we wouldn't be here if that wasn't true. But let's take that to the extreme. God loves murderers. God loves thieves. God loves rapists. Think of the worst crime that you can think of. God loves that person. He hates what they do. Absolutely, he hates when I sin. I don't want to... I do think that all sin is sin. All sin separates us from God. Some sin has terrible consequences, um, and God loves those people too. I say those people, but again, I, I am a sinner, and he loves me. You are a sinner, and he loves you, and he sent Jesus to die for all of us. And that's a hard, that's a hard lesson because the, the, the person, the human, the not, the not godly person, but the worldly person says, God, you shouldn't love those people. <laughs> those people have done terrible. Have you seen what they've done? Do you, know what, do you know what those people have done? And it's easy for us to judge and say, my sins aren't that bad, but theirs are terrible and you can't love them. But that's not how our God works. And we see this in the book of Jonah. We find it easy to hate sins, sinners. And we find it easy to condemn them to live the lives they've chosen, to accept the punishments for their decisions. But God wants to save people and show them grace. To us they may be the enemy, but to God they are his lost children, who he wishes to save, who he loves and wishes to save. God wants his Christians to love his children evangelistically, to see them as he sees them, to share with them the good news of his salvation. That means, somehow that means balancing loving people wholeheartedly without loving their sin. And quite frankly, our world doesn't get that. If you love me, you love what I'm doing or you hate me. That's what I've heard so many times. So many people tell me, you either love me in what I'm doing or you hate me. And, and, and the Christian says, we can love you wholeheartedly and still disagree with what you're doing. Somehow we have to communicate that. And unfortunately, most people, Christians as well, err on one side or the other. We love people and we say, well, this is just, you know, this is who they are and this is how, you know, and, 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 and we love what they're doing and we don't condemn what, we don't condemn sin in their lives. Or, we hate people as well as sin. And most Christians fall, unfortunately, on one side, accepting people and their sins or hating sin and the people that do it. But what we're called to do is love the sinner and hate the sin. And that is hard. It, it, it's difficult. But that's our call. To do what Jonah was called to do, which is to give Nineveh the truth of God. The truth that God loves them that he wants to forgive them, that he wants to save them, but that he hates sin, and he hates what it does in their lives. God called Jonah to preach that in Nineveh, he, to preach that in Nineveh. God called, them, called Jonah to preach that his love of people and his hatred for sin in Nineveh, and Jonah didn't like that side of God. And so he, because, because that's not how Jonah was. And human instinct is to make God in our image. I hate the Ninevites, therefore, God does too. We're still bad about making God like what we like and hate what we hate. Jonah didn't like what God told him, so Jonah ran away. But what about us? Are we, let's be honest and, and look inside, are we bothered that God loves all people 
and wants all people to be saved? Or are we bothered that there are things that he says are sin? Both of these are true statements, and, 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 and if I can't accept that, then I'm in the wrong. I need to get right with God. Let's, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, and this terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. We'll pause again. God calls us, so what is our response? Jonah's response is well known to us. It's pretty modern. History repeats itself. Jonah didn't like what God called him to do, and so he did something else. He went somewhere else. There are so many problems in Jonah's response, and we still see them today. Uh, First thing that I can't help but notice is that Jonah thought that God was confined to Israel. If I go to Tarshish, might might be in Spain, if I go (laughs) the other end of the world, if I go as far away as I can, then God will leave me alone. That's a very, that, that may, it seems kind of childish and simplistic. We laugh at such a pagan concept. Israel's enemies thought that at one point. They, they lost to Israel and they said, oh, that's, that's because they are gods of the plains and our gods are gods of the mountain. We should fight them in the mountains. And then, then they'll lose because their God is confined to the plains. And we can laugh at that and say, yeah, we, we're so much smarter. We recognize that God is the God of everywhere. And then we treat our Christianity like it's Sunday morning only, and God is not the God of Friday night. You know, I think we've swapped places for times. That I, was, I, I laugh at the number of people that, they want, that have told me, can, you, can, we have, can, can you do our wedding? People I've never met will call me up. Can you do our wedding? We want to get married in a church so that God will bless us, but they're never going to go to church again. But, but if they get married in a church, maybe God will bless their wedding because clearly they've tricked him into thinking he's important. We, we do that. We act like, Sunday mo- like God doesn't see what we're up to the rest of the week as long as we're here on Sunday morning. I don't think, God, I don't think Jonah realized how big God was, but I feel that for so many other people today, that we don't, that we're, that we don't think that as well. We're, we, we think we're smarter. Spiritually, I think if we're not careful, we too can be infants. You, you guys know what object permanence is, right? Object permanence is when children, infants, are old enough to realize that peekaboo, you're still there. And that's what they call that. When we realize that just because we can't see it doesn't mean it ceases to exist. Um, our dog has object permanence. Um, the proof of that is if Pam leaves the house, 
that dog's nose is glued to the door, it, she knows Pam's coming back. Uh, or, she'll, or she'll look out the window and look for her. Um, it, when children get to the point that object permanence is a thing, that, that, that's an important concept that helps them understand how reality works. Spiritually, we can fall into that trap where we, we may struggle with that. Um, God is everywhere and sees us even when we're not paying attention. So Jonah's second mistake, his, his first mistake is, combine, is, is confining God to Israel. His second mistake is that he thought he could dictate terms to God. And that doesn't work. Most of us will not be called uh, to... Most of us will not be called directly by God. He's not going to speak out loud in our ears. We know that. Uh, It would make life easier. It would make life so much easier if God would directly talk to me. Uh, But Jonah found that God directly talking to him was actually harder God calls us to difficult things, the difficult things that he wants. And, and this is where Jonah struggles and we struggle with, but what about what, what I want? Jonah was more concerned about what he wanted than what God wanted. He wanted Nineveh to suffer. He wanted his way. God loved Nineveh. Jonah hated Nineveh. What about what I want, God? We, we can fall into that. But the thing that gets me about Jonah, even beyond the fact that he put people's lives in danger, there was this entire ship full of soldiers or sailors that, that were at risk of dying, and, and, and in, in running from God, he included all of these, these sailors in his running from God scheme. The bit that gets me is that he slept through it. And and I don't mean that as... uh, He didn't... I don't know that he even felt guilty. I don't know... He slept at peace while running from God. I... I've shared that I, I... I've shared before I have a friend back in, in Illinois that didn't come to church and would make the comment, oh, I don't... Jason, God and I have an arrangement. No, you, no, you don't. You dictated terms to God. You, told, you, you said, I'm not going to go to church, and I'm okay. And you said this, when the truth of the matter is, that's just dictating terms to God, and we can't dictate terms to God. There are too many people that dictate terms to God. They tell God, these are the terms that I will follow you under, but, but we don't have the right to do that. They've refused his call, they've run away, and they sleep well at night because they've convinced themselves, it's okay, I get to call the shots. I, God and I have an arrangement. It's, it's sad that the pagan sailors recognized a bigger God than Jonah did. Jonah ran. Anyone can run from God, but you can't hide from him. And there are consequences. Let's keep, let's finish the chapter. Verse 13. Verse 13. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. And don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Despite the fact that Jonah ran, God saved him and the ship anyway, because God still loves Jonah. Somebody's going to say, Jason, didn't God send the storm in the first place? Yes, he did, because God still loves Nineveh. Jonah is the account of God's love and deliverance for Jonah and for Nineveh. That's the point of the book. Nineveh was lost in sin, and God cared about them enough to send his prophet Jonah. Jonah rebelled against God, and God cared enough about Jonah to bring him back, whatever the cost. We may not see it this way, but it is a great mercy for God to call us home when we have gone astray. We get mad that God is punishing us, but God desires our salvation not our punishment. God desires our obedience to him because obedience restores us to a right relationship with him. When the world sees our obedience to God, it will change people's lives. When the world sees our obedience to God, it will change people's lives. Some won't like what they see, but they will remember our consistency and our integrity. God delivers people through your integrity, your Christian walk, your relationship with God. His love is shown to you and in you, both. Sometimes it hurts, uh, but, but obedience to the point of pain transforms us and those who see it, who see God through us. But that requires us asking ourselves the question, are we willing to be used by God? He will deliver us. Do we want deliverance? Jonah had to wrestle with that. Jonah would still, at this stage of the game, Jonah would still rather die than go to Nineveh. Throw me overboard. I'm, I, I'm happy to die for my running away. I just wasn't happy to go to Nineveh. And that's because, quite frankly, where Jonah's at, dying gets him off the hook. (laughs) What God calls him to do is even harder than than preaching to Nineveh. What God calls him to do is even harder than dying. Preaching to Nineveh is harder for Jonah than dying. There are times that we may feel that, that what God is calling us to do, we'd rather get off the hook no matter what. The question isn't, will we die for our faith? The question is, will we live for our faith? Will Jonah live for God? That hasn't been answered yet at the end of chapter 1. It's the same question for you and I. Will we live for God? Or would we rather be left alone? Left alone or draw close to God? Those are the two options. To draw close to God means to be obedient to him. 
Otherwise, we are thrown outside where there's darkness. God loved Nineveh and Jonah so much that he gave Jonah a second chance for both of them, for Jonah and for all of Nineveh. Because of his love, Jonah is given a second chance. Sometimes we get second chances. We might get third chances. At some point, we're out of time. Are we obedient today? That's the question. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 343. It is about obedience and what fruits our lives are producing. Disobedience breeds disobedience. Obedience breeds obedience. Are we reproducing? Not, not listening, not receiving. Are we reproducing? Are we sharing our faith? Are we, are we being used by God the way he wishes to use us? Or put another way, are we fishermen, fishers of men, or are we fish bait? That's up to us. Have we obeyed? If you haven't, if you haven't been faithful to Christ as Savior, I'd like to talk with you about what that looks like.